We have come as far as verse 9. I'll read down starting in verse 5. It says, He must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. He gave it freely. That's our word throughout in many ways. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary to the point of exhaustion with his journey, sat thus, weary to the point of exhaustion, on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, it was noon. And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, um, and Jesus says to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away, no doubt, into Sikar, into the city, to buy food. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? Then John tells his Gentile readers, For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith unto thee give me to drink thou wouldest have asked of him and he would have given thee living water and the woman said unto him sir thou hast nothing to draw with and the well is deep from whence then hast thou that living water art thou greater than our father Jacob which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I would thirst not, neither come here to draw. So this encounter with this woman from Samaria. Samaritans, again, we talked about it last week, antagonistic relationship with the Jews, with Israel. Um... They pop up in history. Alexander the Great permitted the Samaritans to build a temple on Mount Gerizim. And under his authority, they appointed their first priest there. John Herakinus and one of the Maccabees tore that temple down. Uh, At this point, there's no temple there um, when Jesus is talking to her, but there would be attempts to rebuild it. But they said Mount Gerizim, where Noah landed, where where Eden was, where Abraham offered Isaac, and it was in constant contest with Jerusalem. And she says that here. She said, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, your fathers worshipped like she needs to inform Jesus on the spiritual conditions in the neighborhood. So... He's seated there by the well, sends the disciples away. Again, they may have passed this woman head in another direction with a stone jar on her head, and they probably separated the different sides of the road as they passed each other. 
And she comes and Jesus is sitting there, exhausted, and probably literally thirsty. That well is still there today. There are about 800 Samaritans alive today. Um, They live largely in a Muslim area. They differ from the Muslims. The Muslims leave them alone as they do Christians in Hebron that have been there, you know, for 600 years before Muhammad. So they kind of respect that, uh, the ancient foundations and so forth. So, uh, again, Greek Orthodox monastery where the well is today, they can draw water out of that today and you can drink it. You don't get her as revenge. The water's clean, comes from 100 foot down. It's sweet, it's good water. And uh, Jesus sits down there and he asks for a drink from this well. She knows her way around men. We'll find out next week. She's had five husbands. And the guy she's living with now, she's not married to. So she knows her way around. So she looks at him and says, how is it? She asks a question. How is it you, being a Jew, we don't know if there was a little dig in that when she said it, you're a Jew, ask, drink of me, who am a woman and a Samaritan. John says, you know, they didn't have anything to do with each other, uh, the Jews and the Samaritans. In fact, there was still antagonism. It was in- it's interesting. The one author I read said that not long before this, a bunch of Samaritans had snuck onto the Temple Mount at Passover and dropped dead men's bones everywhere and desecrated the Temple, and it kind of shut down the whole Passover for that year. But what the Jews would do when the Passover came, which is a lunar feast on the first full moon of the Passover night, there were still Jews in Babylon that remained after the captivity, and they would want to signal them when the official Paschal feast began in Jerusalem. So they had a bonfire on one of the hills just north of Jerusalem, and then they would see that on the next hill, because they didn't, couldn't text or email or nothing. They'd see that on the next hill, and then up towards Hermon, another hill. And these bonfires would light, and it would take the message all the way to Babylon that the Paschal Feast had officially began. Now, the Samaritans knew that and liked to mess with them. So they would light their fire the night before. They could, and, and the people looking from a distance couldn't tell whether there was a hill outside of Jerusalem, and they would always mess up the signals. And there was just this constant... Agita, even though they weren't Italian, that went on between them. <clears throat> so she says, what's the deal? Why are you asking me? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. And he says to her, well, if you had known the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, it's going to be an interesting session here because she's going to interpret this literally, literal water, because in this culture, living water was any stream, any fountain, an artesian well, which was Jacob's well, had a spring at the bottom bubbling up, and that was considered the living water. That's why you wanted to let down your bucket and draw that water from the bottom because it was bubbling there. It was fresh. That was living water in this culture. Um, There are remarks about living water through the Old Testament, particularly New Testament, that also draw, obviously, a spiritual analogy, as Jesus will hear. But she's going to follow him along literal lines. Look, 
the greatest teacher of Israel in the chapter before, Nicodemus, when Jesus said you have to be born again, he takes that along literal lines. So I have to go back in my mother's womb. How, what do you mean? How does this happen? No, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. He says, like it's a wind. You see it. It blows wherever it listeth. Uh, and so are those that are born of the spirit. How can this be? And then he reproves Nicodemus. He said, you're the teacher in Israel and you don't understand these things? If I've told you earthly things you don't understand, how am I ever going to tell you spiritual things? He never reproves this woman. And this is the bad Samaritan. He talks about the good Samaritan. This is the bad Samaritan in here. Jesus understands, first thing we see is he has no limitation, impediment in regards to prejudice. He steps right across those racial lines where there's prejudice and bigotry because he's the son of man. He's not the son of the Jew or the son of the Samaritan. He's the son of man. And he understands what's wrong in all of us since Adam fell in Eden. He knows the process and he knows the solution. So he steps across this line. He's independent of the, the process that would have gone between a Jew and a Samaritan. You know, he tells us about the Good Samaritan. It's, it's interesting. His disciples don't get it. They want to call down fire from heaven and burn up the Samaritans. Jesus then will tell them in Luke 17, look, it gives us the record. Luke tells us these ten lepers came and asked them to have mercy. And he said, go show yourself to the priest. And on the way to the priest, they were healed. It says, one of them turned around who was a Samaritan and came back and fell at the feet of Jesus. Jesus says to his disciples, weren't ten healed? Where's the other nine? Only this one foreigner comes back. So Jesus saw the difference between Samaritans and Jews, but not when it came to mercy, not when it came to salvation, not when it came to redemption. He was the redeemer. So he says to her, if you'd have known the gift of God. And look, these things are not just written for her. They didn't have to be written for her. She had the conversation. These are written for us. You know, we spend our entire Christian life growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the gift of God. He said to Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Paul in 2 Corinthians talks about Christ's God's unspeakable gift. He himself is the gift. He said, if you'd have known the gift of God, as a Samaritan, she didn't. Nicodemus didn't. If you'd have known the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and, and notice it says, he would have given. Through the passage, you're going to see gave, given, giveth over and over again. And it is giving gratuitously, giving freely. He says, if you would have asked, he would have given you living water freely, undeservedly. You don't deserve it. You can never earn it. You'll never be worthy of it. He would have given it to you freely. Now, she's still taking this in a literal sense. So she says to him, sir, you'll see there, her attitude's changing a little. <clears throat> she knows her way around men. So the first thing she says, hey, 
How is it you being a Jew ask me a Samaritan for water? He speaks to her, if you'd have known the gift of God, and she's thinking, yeah, I know, I've married five of them, and now the guy I'm living with ain't, you know, you all think you're the gift of God, you know, give me this, you know. And, but he leads her on in the conversation. <clears throat> and then he says, well, if you'd have known, and then she says, sir, how is this, you know, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. How hast thou this living water? How can you get down to where it's bubbling? How do you have this? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, who drank at it himself and his children and his cattle and so forth? So she, she says, and she's still now in the physical. He, he wants to get her and us to the spiritual in this process. She says, sir, you know, you don't have anything to draw with here. And the well is deep. From whence then hast thou this living water? How can you draw this refreshment, this pure, bubbling, refreshing water at noon in the hottest part of the day? How can you draw that? You don't have a bucket and you don't have a rope. Well, he's independent of prejudice and he's also independent of apparatus here. That's important for us as Christians to learn because we get in a situation, we think, Lord, how are you going to do this? You ain't got a bucket and a rope. How are you going to straighten this out? How are you going to do this in my life? This is falling apart. You just want me to trust you? Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to believe what the Daily Bread says today. What about, you know, and we do the same thing. How are you ever going to work this out? And then how often does Jesus work something out and we look back over our shoulder and say, I can't believe I complained. I can't believe I was griping. This is so much better than I thought it was going to be. You know, he's independent of apparatus. Now, he's trying to get her to the spiritual. But he's not arguing that the well is deep. How are you going to get refreshing out of this? Again, I think of those today in the Ukraine. How many husbands have had to flee and leave their wives or vice versa? How many parents have lost their children in the battle or left them? How many people have been separated that love each other? How many of them are Christians? How many of them are thinking, Lord, how can you let this be happening? They want reassurance, but the well is deep. It's deep. How many Christians live through abuse of one kind or another? And it still haunts them sometimes. Lord, how do I get out of this? Is it here? Is it there? Is it this counselor? Is this process? He doesn't need apparatus. But the well is deep. I know. How many Christians have been broken through a divorce? How many Christians are struggling with terminal illness? How many just age? You get up in the morning and your skeleton sounds like Rice Krispies. Snap, crackle, and pop. You know, just trying to get yourself going. And, and the well is deep. And see the, our final breath somewhere, somehow, hospice, whatever it may be, we're going to be in that place and the well is deep there. We want the refreshing. But Lord, how are you going to do this? This is where the rubber meets the road. I'm just, I have to trust you with everything now. 
How are you going to draw this up? How are you going to do this? The well is deep. And that place that we need refreshing from so often is. He's trying to graduate her from the natural mind to the spiritual mind. She's going to make it. Nicodemus never did. She says, our father Jacob drank from this well. And his children, are you greater than him? Who are you? No, I have to believe that he's already touched her. You know, she starts out, I think, a little bit of an attitude. How is it you being a Jew? And by the time, the next time she talks, she says, sir. So things have changed a little. I have to believe when Jesus sits with you face to face and says, you know, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for something to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I have to believe there's something in the look in his eyes, in the tone of his voice, in his mannerisms that's already breaking her down. Wow, this Jew is way nicer than I ever thought a Jew could be, you know? And I think, you know, there's a lesson there. Uh, We need to remember that our attitude speaks louder than our words, you know? And years ago, we did you know one of the marriage studies here. I was reading the book, and the guy in the book said, "Look, communication, husbands and wives. Six percent is content, thirty some percent is attitude, and sixty percent is action." Did you follow that? Look, for those of you who are sleeping, let me say this again: six percent is content. 30-some percent attitude in communication and over 60% action. I'll make something up. It's never happened to me. My wife and I get in an argument. Um, And I'm walking out the door. She says, where are you going? Now, her content was this. Where are you going? Her attitude was, and that spoke way louder than the content. And I say to her, I'm going for a walk. And I slam the door. Now, my content was, I'm going for a walk. My attitude was, yourself, smarty pants. And when I slammed the door, I said, drop dead while I'm gone, by the way. You know, so, look, these are important lessons. My point that I'm making here is Jesus' attitude was in keeping with his content. One, didn't he, he didn't like have a bad attitude while he was saying nice things. I think she's being taken down, his tone of voice. There's a care that she senses. She's kind of saying, who are you? Are you greater than our father Jacob that gave us this? Well, he drank from it himself and his kids. First of all, that's, that's sheer tradition. There's nowhere in the Bible says Jacob gave the well of the Samaritans. Jacob was around centuries and centuries and centuries before the Samaritans ever came into existence. And she's trying to tell him, you know, he could have said to her, look, you know Jacob's well. I know Jacob well. You know, he he could have won a theological argument right there. That's That's not what he's doing. He's taking her along. And he says, okay. Whoever drinks of this water, 
Jacob's well here. We'll thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I will give will never thirst. And the water that I give will become in him a fountain of life, springing, a fountain springing up to eternal life. The, the language is beautiful there. You don't have to dig into it to get what he's saying. He's saying there are things in this life. If we're translating from the, from the literal water now to, the, to the, the living water, to life, he says there's things in this world you drink of, and you're going to be right back there again the next week. You just drink of this water from Jacob's well. It's refreshing. It's not a bad thing, but you're going to keep coming back here with your stone jar because you're going to keep thirsting. But there is something else that humans can drink of, and if you drink of that, you're never going to thirst again. And he would challenge us today with the same thing. The word of God abides forever. There are things that human beings drink of, trying to satisfy a thirst. God's given us all thirst. It's not just for liquid. We have a thirst. Thirst for air, thirst for food, you know, thirst. We, there, there are involuntary muscles he's given us, and we're glad of that. Your heart beats without you thinking about it. You know, you breathe just naturally. If you held your breath till you fainted, you'd faint and then start breathing again while you're unconscious. There's involuntary things, and it's almost like the Lord said, eh, I'll keep control of these because if they got to think about it, they're dead, you know. I mean, if I had to think, ba-boom, 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 uh, you know, beat heart, beat heart, and somebody cut me out in traffic, I'd be dead in two minutes, Right? And there are thirsts. Human beings are complex. And there are thirsts that are not wrong for earthly fountains. There are mental thirsts that are to be satisfied, emotional thirsts that should be satisfied, spiritual thirsts, obviously. There are thirsts for companionship, marriage, children, success, have a good reputation. There's a desire for sexual fulfillment. It's a thirst. It's only meant, you know, to be withheld until marriage. And marriage is to be fulfilled. These are desires that God has given. So he doesn't here condemn all thirsts. But listen, he's saying, if that's all you thirst for, you're going to come up short. This woman knows that because she drank at this well of husbands five times and she's still thirsty. He said, if you just drink at these wells, and I'm not condemning them, you're going to thirst again. Man was made for fellowship with God. This woman was sitting face to face with Jehovah. That's what we were made for. So yes, going to church is great. Bible studies are great. You know, marriage is great. Kids, success in business. You know, all of those things. And they're good. And God blesses them. He daily loads us with benefits. But if that's everything to us, we still come up short. We're still drinking of a well that we have to drink again and drink again and drink again that was never made to satisfy the deepest thing within us. And, of course, there are other wells. Pornography, alcohol, 
drugs, revenge, abuse. There are all kinds of other wells, and we look at those and say, yeah, those are wrong. You know, I got a hangover. I'm never going to drink again. You liar, you are so. You're going to be out next weekend drinking at the same well again. You know, just, we, don't we say that? There's people sitting right now in all three services and listening saying, I want to get away from this. I want to get victory. I want to get away from this. And you're always back drinking at the same place. Because the truth is, even though you go back there and keep drinking, it doesn't satisfy what you're trying to fill. Jesus said, if you come to me, he said, if you drink at this well, it's a present participle. If you, whoever drinketh, continues to drink regularly at this well, is going to thirst again. Well's not bad. Jacob wasn't a bad guy. No way about him, more, more about it than you do. But, the, the, yeah, it's cool. It's refreshing. But if this is all you got. You're going to be back here every day with your stone pot. But whoever drinketh, that's an aortist participle. It means whoever takes a drink once and for all of the water that I shall give shall never thirst again. Very interesting, the phrase never there, it's the most negative phrase there is in the Greek. It's not, not, it's called the oime, it's, it's a ultra negative. Whoever drinks of the water I will give. And this is all about giving, you don't deserve it. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never, ever, ever thirst again. It satisfies something in you that nothing else can. But it will be in him, he says, like a fountain of water. And, and the important thing is for us to see there, in him. Literally, it will be in, the, the language there, it will become in him. Internal. Because the external doesn't change. The external doesn't change. I mean, you're, you're involved in a a marriage, you know, a good relationship, you're in a nice home, successful business. God doesn't condemn those things, but they're all external. All the other wells people drink from of anger and, you know, greed and pleasure, those things stay there. They're still the same. They're there. But he says, if you drink of this water, it will become in you. It's the internal thing that takes place. And what that becomes is a fountain of, of water springing up to eternal life. You know, we're told in Revelation chapter 7, and the lamb that was on the throne and fed them, led them to fountains of living waters. One of the last promises to the believer in the book of Revelation, the Bible, is anyone who thirsts, let him come and drink of the water of life freely undeservedly. You can't earn it. You can't drink of it because you earned it. It's undeserved. And here this woman, I think, is beginning to take hold of what he's saying to her remarkably. He soever, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Never satisfy the deepest name. The very purpose of man was fellowship with God. But whosoever, and I love the whosoevers, drinketh, takes a drink of the water that I shall give, shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up to everlasting life. 
twice there it says in verse 14 that I shall give. Both times it's it's in the, the voicing that means it's emphatic. So it's whoever comes and drinks of the water that I for myself shall give. He's the one who gives it. It, it puts it in a context. No one else. No one else gives it. And look, you and I, were still learning that. You know, God's begun a good work in us. He's going to complete it until that day. We're still growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul says he bent his knees before the, the Father and the whole family of, of God named in heaven that we would know the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of God's love towards us in Christ Jesus. We are still growing in these things. He says it will become in you a fountain of living water springing up to eternal life. It will become the source of everything. And he says, I myself will do this. Your husband's not going to do it for you. Ask our gal here. Your wife's not going to do it for you. Kids aren't, it's all these, all blessings, but they're not going to do it. Successful business ain't going to do it for you let alone all the sinful things that we have to keep going back and drinking over and over and over. He says, come to me. There's anything else. Come to me. You can go to Bible studies, and you should. You go to church, you should. You can serve at the orphanage, you should. And you can still be dying of thirst. He says, come to me. I alone can give this living water. I alone can give life. I am the gift of God. And if you'd have known the gift of God, and we do, he said, you would have come and asked, and I would have given. Over and over, he says that. You ask, I give. That's the routine. You ask, I give. Everyone here this morning, whatever it is, whatever it is you can let replace his voice, his leading in your life. We only find that we need to come back to him again. And look, that's a wonderful process to be in that seminary. And we are. And we are. I flee to him now in a way I never did when I was a younger believer. Younger believer, I thought, I gotta earn this. I gotta, oh no, I gotta make this up. I need to put stars on the refrigerator. Right now, I'm convinced I am nothing but a sinner saved by grace. And I run to him, and he's waiting for me, and he never puts me off. He never, he lets me drink what I don't deserve until it's gushing out of my heart. Sound good? Okay. Four of us. The rest of you will get the message in time. You're going to get thirsty. But look, it's important for all of us. I want the person sitting next to me in church to be filled with living water. I don't want a dry old cistern sitting next to me. Right? The, the body builds itself up. Every joint, every ligament supplies. We want something real. Isaiah would say, Behold, God is my salvation, in whom I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. The Lord kind of rebukes the nation under Jeremiah. He says, he says, Hath a nation ever changed their gods, which are yet no gods? 
But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this. Be horribly afraid. Be you very desolate, saith the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewn them out cisterns, broken cisterns, cisterns that can hold no water. The Lord said, my own people, they do this. They turn away from me, and I'm the fountain of living waters, and they dig out these stagnant wells that are broken that can't even contain water. He said, he said you know, it sounds like a father brokenhearted over his son or daughter, a husband heartbroken over his wife. You know, this, the, and he puts our relationships in those contexts to help us understand. We understand human emotion. And here he's saying, he said, you, you come, you ask, I give. Now look, he's definitely worn her down to the point that Nicodemus didn't get to because in verse 15, she says, the woman finally says to him, sir, again, this is a, a, more of a respect here. The woman says, sir... Give me this water. Nicodemus didn't say, all right, lay it on me. He never, he didn't get it. She says, sir, give me this water. Two reasons. Number one, that I thirst not. Number two, so that I don't have to come to this stinking well anymore with a stone pot and draw water every day. You know, isn't it interesting? Two things. She says, one, I want to be satisfied. Number two, I don't want to work for it. I don't want to work for it. That should be the cry of every one of our hearts. Lord Jesus, I come to you today because I need to drink freely. I don't want to work for it. Forgive me, Lord, to the degree I don't know the gift of God. Lord Jesus, forgive me to the the degree I try to earn your favor. I've only known human love. I've only known love with strings attached to it. And he says, whosoever comes to me and drinks. I'll give him living water. It's his words in red. Look in your Bible. Those are red letters. And he will never, ever, ever thirst after that in that respect. And that water I give becomes in him, regardless of exterior circumstances, a fountain, a well, it's literally there, a fountain of living water springing up to eternal life. Chapter 7, we'll talk more about it. There's different things as we go through the gospel. But here, I think as we go through this, how encouraging, at least for me, to sit with this. And I think, Lord, how little I exercise this prerogative. Lord, I should be, you know, every morning, every evening, Lord, fill me. Lord, I'm thirsty. Lord, give me fresh you know, give me, you know, I can't draw it as deep, but you can draw it. You don't need a well in a bucket. You can bring it right up to overflow the top, Lord. You can supply it in the darkest hour at the most broken time, Lord. You can supply it when I've been drinking in the wrong places and I've realized that I'm coming back to you asking forgiveness and would you give me this living water again? He says, you ask, I'll give. You ask, I'll give. This is experiential. This is subjective. This is spiritual reality. Again, not conceptual, not theological, not theoretical. 
experiential reality. That's what he's offering here to all of us. So this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow morning, sit with him and tell him you're thirsty, okay? Okay, that's better. We're up to 15 now. Just go to him personally. Let him know. You know, he'll, he'll help slake that thirst. That's what he puts this to the page for, to hand it to us this morning, to remind the church in 2022 of the only thing that will really satiate it and satisfy it. Lots of great church stuff that surrounds us, but that can't be the only spring we drink from because there is one singular that trumps all of the rests and gives us what we need in the deepest part of our being. Let's stand. Let's pray. Read ahead. Uh, We're going to talk about the woman and her five husbands next week. If the rapture happens, you can talk to her about it. I'm sure she'll be in heaven. He wore her down. Uh, Father, we said, Lord, hearts, we thank you for these things. Lord, simple, profound. Lord, so demonstrated in the natural and so profound in the spiritual, Lord. A hot climate at noon and a thirst quenched. Cool, living water bubbling up, a fountain. Let that be our experience, Lord. Let us walk and breathe in that environment. We ask, Lord Jesus, as you have told us here to ask, those who know would have asked and I would have given, we're asking, Lord Jesus. In anticipation, we're expecting you now to give, Lord. And Lord, we pray in your name. Amen.